leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and we have a very special guest for this episode, a big-time Dallas Mavericks fan and also a fellow sports business classroom alum. His name is Frankie Neifinger. Frankie, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett. I'm, I'm very excited for this. I've been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, you know the the topic, of course, the Mavericks. They're they're a team that uh, uh, like the episode last week when I talked with Darius on the Orlando Magic. That team was hot at the time, and and the Mavericks are also on a bit of a hot streak. They currently sit at at nine and nine overall, and eighth in the Western Conference. They've won seven of their last ten games, including. A very impressive 50-point win over the Utah Jazz a little bit over a week ago. But uh, looking at some of their, uh, their, their numbers, their 15th in offensive rating at uh, 109.7, 8th in defensive rating at 108.2. Frankie, especially that defense is, is a little bit of a surprise to me, is it not for you? Yeah, I mean, when, when you're starting two young guards like that who are known for their defense, and you put up the 8th best defensive rating, it, it, it kind of makes you scratch your head for where it's coming from. And DeAndre is even more of a of a, a show defender than, a, than a, an actual defender. He, he makes it look good, even though he's not really doing much out there. So I'm, I'm not sure how it's the eighth-best defense. I think it all has to, to fall on that second unit that, that's been so good for them this year. Yeah, it uh, it certainly is, is a little bit confusing, and, and some of it can be attributed to the fact that uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is playing a little bit better offensively, which has allowed him to, to be on the floor a little bit more and be one of their better defenders. But you mentioned one of their uh, their young guards, of course, uh, the rookie, Luka Doncic. And uh, Luka having a uh, an absolutely terrific rookie year, averaging over 19 points a game, 4.3 assists, 6.6 rebounds, a true shooting percentage of 57.3 and on nearly 26% usage. You know, I had sky-high expectations for Luka coming in. Is he even better than you expected, though? He plays the style that I was expecting, but I didn't imagine it being so efficient so early. Uh, But I didn't imagine it being so pleasing to watch. Like I I just thought that he would get, you know, he'd put up numbers and, and... he would look like a capable NBA player this early, but he, he really looks like he's uh, in command of the offense. He's in, he's just very much in command on the floor. But I guess that goes, I mean, he's been playing professional basketball for however many years over in Europe. He, he's a poised young player, so it's really, really fun to watch. Um, he, he orchestrates the offense so beautifully, and on defense he has his limitations, but you can tell he's 
he's seeing the angles. He's able to anticipate. Um, he's just not the strongest body. He doesn't have the quickest feet defensively. But really, on offense, he's been he's been a revelation for this team. Yeah, and you know he he came into the draft as uh, as arguably the having the greatest resume of basically any prospect in the history of the NBA. You know, winning Euroleague MVP and being a professional for four or five plus years, and uh, you know doing a great job uh, for the national team as well, the Serbian national team. But you know. One of the things that has surprised me the most about his play is that jump shot. You know, his his jump shot always looked good, but I believe he was in the low 30s in percentage uh, in, in Europe. And, you know, granted, a lot of those were real tough kind of step-back type shots. But uh, so far in the early going of this season, and again, we're about a quarter of the way through the season at this point, uh, he's, he's shooting right around 40% from three. And uh, his shot looks great from uh, the NBA three-point line, which is a little bit uh, even deeper than the European line. Yeah, no, the shot looks great. The, the form has always been simple and smooth and very, very concise. So it's not, it's more of a strength thing to, to extend to the NBA line. Um, and you look now, you have shooters all over the league shooting you know, three, four, or five feet beyond the line, and it, and it doesn't really change their form. So as long as the form's solid, you can really move back, um, you know, five, ten feet, and it doesn't really affect it. So I'm not surprised by the range. I'm just surprised by, by the efficiency. Uh, like you said, 40%. He's making he's making tough ones. He's got that, that step back that he's kind of patenting already. He's hit a bunch of those over some players, and... I think one thing that's done such a done such wonders for his shooting is his balance. So every time he moves around a screen or he has that step back or he's dribbling into a shot, he stays balanced, he stays low. So he's always shooting from that from that same stance and he can replicate the same shot over and over again. Yeah, and you know you you mentioning some of the tough shots. Uh, one of one of those shots in the recent game against Boston in the win for the Mavericks. He had a he had a move where he was being guarded by Kyrie Irving and and the shot clock was winding down and it looked like he went to that patented uh, step back going to his left and Kyrie was all over it. But Doncic faked the shot and then stepped in and hit kind of a uh, a leaning three heading towards the basket. It's just one of those things where it's like this guy is. Uh, uh, is wise beyond his years and just has the footwork and uh, the basketball acumen that you don't expect from a 19-year-old kid. Yeah, and it's exactly that that makes him so impressive. It's it's the, the, the fake step back that got Kyrie fighting. It was, I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago, he did it, I think it was back-to-back games or twice in three games. He would fake the pass beyond, uh, behind his defender's back wait till his defender turned his head because he wanted to see where the pass goes, but he still has the ball. Um, it's stuff like that where, okay, maybe it seems silly, but just the idea that he's thinking of these different ways to manipulate the defense with whether they're pass fakes or they're shot fakes, um, you know, his footwork, hesitation, it's, he does a great job of, making the defense reactive rather than proactive. So no, he's not the most athletic person in terms of jumping through the roof. He's not gonna gonna speed by somebody, but making the defense have to play a reactive style against him really allows him to thrive and, and get where he wants on the floor and get the shots that he wants and, and make the passes to you know to the open man that he that he sees. Yeah and you know Despite all of these uh, real positive things we're talking about, he is still a rookie. There are still some issues. You mentioned the defense, just given that he's he's not the greatest athlete in the world. Uh, you know, he uh, especially in there's been a couple of situations. Again, noting that uh, that Boston game from the other night, uh, he had a situation where he was defended by Marcus Morris, a guy that not only has the size but the athleticism to stick with him. And he seemed to. Uh, there was one possession where. Uh, he just had no clue what to do against him and kind of threw up an air ball. But, uh, you know, another issue that I've seen is the turnovers. He's averaging close to four turnovers a game. But it's one of those things where uh, a lot of those turnovers, I think, are, are gonna he's going to cut out of his game eventually just by learning the speed and, and the athleticism of this league. 
Uh, but but a lot of those turnovers are also plays where you feel like he's he's trying to make uh, you know some of those real special passes, those cross court feeds, those skip passes. Uh, so some of those turnovers you can probably live with. Yeah, I mean a lot of them you watch, and it's like you said, he's trying to make those special passes or those you know special moves. And somebody who's so young, not used to this athleticism, used to the game, you know, used to the smart players but not used to the athleticism and the speed, that's something to get used to. But also, he hasn't played with, with his teammates for more than, however, you know, four or five months. So them getting on the same page as him and, and him understanding their limitations, uh, it's just going to be a growing process. But I don't, So I don't mind the turnovers. I, I appreciate that he's forcing the issue, and I appreciate that Rick Carlisle is allowing him to do so because uh, I'm sure you know Rick Carlisle is, is notorious for having a short leash with rookies and young players and, and really relying on the you know the safe plays of veterans. So Dennis Smith Jr. last year had a hard time getting on the floor in crunch time. and uh, This year you see Luka Doncic, he's you know, controlling the offense in crunch time and has really given the freedom to you know, to, to do what he wants on offense. And I think seeing Rick Carlisle's blessing kind of is, a, in its own way, proving to us that, that Luca has real potential. Is it is it too early in the season to anoint him the Rookie of the Year? Um, you know, I, I would say it's definitely too early. But his, I think his floor as, a, as an NBA player has risen pretty substantially uh, as the year, you know, it was only, you know, two months underway because he's shown that he can compete with these guys. He sh- he's shown that he's he's got the IQ to compete with them, the athleticism, the shooting ability, and you have those things. You have a very high floor. As far as Rookie of the Year, it, it ends up being a stats-driven metric. I, DeAndre Ayton might put up the best stats for, uh, you know, if you're looking at ESPN and you just you click DeAndre Ayton in the top right box, you get three or four stats. He might have those best stats. Right, I think he's uh, averaging around 16 and 10 on, you know, 60-plus percent shooting. So, yeah, pretty impressive numbers for Ayton. Very impressive. And he hasn't been bad, you know, by any means, you know, two months into the year. And all the advanced stats tend to kind of favor bigs anyway. So he might have the best stats, but in terms of uh, impact on his team's winning, if we're going by that, um, I think Luca's got to be number one, and I don't really see that changing, uh, especially with the Suns and Hawks looking like they won't really win too many games this year anyway. Right, and uh, you know Bagley, to my surprise, has has not really been a, a starter for Sacramento, and, and in large part because uh, their their late uh, off season acquisition Bialita has been so good for them. Yeah. But you know, a guy like. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. for Memphis, I think, is uh, is probably right alongside Doncic in terms in terms of rookies that are actually impacting winning. It, it does seem to be a, a pretty good rookie draft class, but uh, you know, I, I still think that uh, it was a mistake for a couple of teams, uh, including Phoenix, Sacramento, and Atlanta, to to pass on Doncic. Moving on to the other uh, backcourt player that you mentioned for Dallas, Dennis Smith Jr. Of course, this is his. This is his second season in the NBA. He's putting up uh, over 14 points a game, over four assists, shooting uh, 44.3% from the field and 393 from uh, from downtown, but struggling from the free throw line, not getting to the free throw line very much, which has led to uh, kind of a, a mediocre true shooting percentage of just 52.7. But uh, Frankie, what have you seen out of, uh, out of Dennis Smith Jr. here in year two? You know, I... I, I like him more as the off-ball guard. I don't think he, at least now, and granted, point guards take a long time or, or longer to develop than, than most other players, and obviously he was a freshman coming into the draft, so he's super young. But the ball-handling responsibilities and, and creating for other guys on his team and creating good shots for himself, it's just not there yet, and... I think last year he was shooting, he shot maybe 31% from three. And from what I remember, a lot of that was shooting off the dribble that was holding him back. And obviously now with Luca and, and you know, Spells, J.J. Barea controlling the ball, 
uh, he can spot up a lot more, and that's allowed him to shoot that, that high 39%. So if he can do that, he can stay on the floor for a lot of teams, for, for the Mavericks, as, as he learns how to play the game and, and as he learns to develop his other skills. Uh, one thing, Garrett, that is something that I've kind of had this theory for a couple years, and I bounced it off a couple of my friends, and I haven't gotten the, the best reception from it, but I, I, think they're, I think it holds some water. So I think guys like Dennis Smith Jr., these uber-explosive players, I think they, they jump too high to be consistent three-point shooters. Uh, I think it matters so much that you're balanced, and you know, kind of like what I was getting back to with Luca, he stays balanced no matter how he's shooting the ball. And that allows you to replicate the same shot over and over and over. But when you jump so high on your on your, your three-pointer, I think it throws off your balance at the release point. So you look at guys who, who are the most athletic point guards in our league. We have Derek Rose. We have Westbrook, John Wall, Eric Bledsoe for a spell, Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, guys who can jump through the roof but haven't been able to find their luck from three and Westbrook Rose and and Dennis Smith in particular jump very high on their three I think the higher you jump on your three Garrett the less likely it's going in no I I completely agree with you and 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 a uh, I would say an even uh, a, a more popular example would even be Michael Jordan you know he was a guy that was a, a terrific athlete and and definitely jumped pretty high on on pretty much every yeah. jump shot was an excellent mid-range shooter, but then when you got out beyond about 20 feet, uh, he, he seemed to struggle a little bit with that. And, and yeah, it just, I think, with covering that sort of distance, I think you, uh, you know, you see a lot of guys, especially, you know, a guy like Marc Gasol take a, and, and Carl Anthony Towns, I think you see that too, where they almost take a set shot from the three-point line. I don't know if you noticed LeBron this year. Yes. Uh, he, he, he barely jumps this year. Barely, it's it's pretty incredible. And yeah, he's having a pretty good uh, pretty good year from downtown. I don't have the numbers offhand, but I think he's he's shooting the ball pretty well. It turns out that LeBron guy is, is pretty good. <laughs> right, he's pretty good at basketball. The the other thing about Smith Jr. that uh, that that's been a little bit underwhelming watching watching some tape of the Mavs this year is you know you you referenced the the nuclear athleticism that he has. Uh, but he, he never really seems to get too many easy looks for himself. Whenever he's creating shots, it seems to be pretty difficult uh, step-back jumpers or, you know, he'll he'll jump stop and kind of pivot and, and take a fadeaway jumper from about 15 feet. Uh, you know, for a guy that is at, as athletic as him, I would like to see him not only get to the line more, but, but just get some more open opportunities for himself. Yeah, you know, you and I must have seen the same thing when we're watching these games because... He's so athletic, but you can go a game, you can go two games or, or at least a couple quarters a game without without really seeing it pop at all. Right. And, and you scratch your head and you wonder why. Uh, for me, the, the one thing that correlates the most to that is his free throws per game. I think it was it's fewer than three attempts per game, which I would say is a, is a huge red flag. But on the flip side of that, he is top 25. I think he's 23rd in the league in drives per game. So it's not that he's not aggressive. It's that when he gets within, you know, six, seven feet of the hoop, he's making other decisions, be it the floater, be it the, you know, the stop, turn around, fade away, or, or just avoiding contact in general. I would really like to see him, you know, take that extra dribble or take that extra step and go into the defender and see if, you know, because he hangs in the air for 15 seconds. He, he can contort <laughs> his body and finish. I know he can. Uh, and worst case scenario, he's going to get fouled. I know he's only shooting 65% from the line, and that could be a mental game where he, you know he's afraid of, the, of getting to the line. We've seen that before with a lot of guys. But he's young, and that's something he's good at, uh, driving to the hoop. And I, and I think it's in his best interest and the team's best interest to, to try to draw some fouls. Even if you're not going to finish, and even if you're not going to make a ton of a ton of free throws, uh, you know, make that something that the defense has to game plan for. Right, and yeah, sometimes uh, that that athleticism can kind of work against him in terms of when he's going to the basket. He can hang in the air so long, and and, and a lot of times he'll just avoid the contact instead of looking for it. 
And uh, of course, as you said, he's very young, so that's something he can he can learn and develop. But uh, looking forward, you know, obviously Doncic and Smith Jr. are really the future of this of this Dallas Mavericks team. How do you feel in terms of the two of them playing off of each other, and how do you feel about that fit moving forward? Yeah, I mean that's that's tough because Luca's offense you you take and whatever happens on defense I, I think he'll grow into a good defender um, because he's he's so he has such a, a high basketball IQ and he's got that big body I can I can see him being a decent isolation defender out of the perimeter a very good help defender and then on the block kind of like that Kyle Lowry James Harden uh, type of player who's kind of tough to move back tough to back down He's not that right now. I, I know you were watching that Celtics game. There was one play where uh, he and Jalen Brown started going at it a little bit, a couple possessions, and then Jalen Brown just starts backing him down, and he maybe he maybe clears nine feet in like two dribbles in like three seconds. Yeah. So surprisingly, he's not as staunch as a as a player who's not going to get back down yet. But I think that. Uh, the template is there for him. The skills are there for him defensively. Dennis Smith worries me because when you have a an offense first guard who struggles defensively in Luka, it's it's very difficult to put out a good defense when your other off guard is not a defensive hound, um, you know, who can take the other team's better scorer, be it the point guard or the shooting guard. Um, so it, it worries me defensively. I like that Dennis Smith is spotting up more from three. And, and when he spots up, I forgot to mention earlier, he, his shot is different when he spots up. It's much, basically, he doesn't jump as high. It's more controlled and simpler. Uh, so I'm not worried about him offensively. I'm worried about the two of them defensively and how that's going to work going forward. But I'd rather have guys who I believe in offensively and not defensively than guys who I don't believe in at all. And, right. Um, so I'll take it. You know, the Knicks have Frank Nilkina, who I, I love him. I watch him all the time because I'm in New York, and the fans love him, but he, he just he just can't score the ball. He's It's five on four on offense, and it's like five and a half on five on defense, which is great, but, you know, the sacrifice there is a lot, and I think the sacrifice with the Mavs is just enough where you're, you're willing to give it a couple years. Right, and you're mentioning uh, Neil Aquina because he was, I believe, the eighth pick in that draft, and Smith right went right Smith, after yeah. him at, at number nine. Uh, but in a uh, way, he'd almost be the perfect guy. But again, that offense is so limited for Frank. Right. So uh, let's let's move on to some of the uh, you know some of the the supporting cast on this team. One of the guys that uh, is certainly intriguing, of course, is Harrison Barnes, the former Golden State Warrior, and, and I believe he's got a a player option coming up this off season. And so, you know, if he if he opts out of out of that uh, option, he'll become a uh, become a free agent. And uh, so far this year, uh, Harrison Barnes averaging just over 17 points a game, 4.6 rebounds, 41.5 percent from the field, and 39 from downtown, 54.2 percent true shooting, and a little over 23 percent usage rate. He's a guy that I feel like got off to a little bit of a rough start this season, you know, coming off of an injury. Uh, but he's he's picked it up a little bit as of late. How do you feel about uh, Harrison Barnes? I, I Harrison Barnes could be the player I am most indifferent about in the National Basketball Association. <laughs> he is he is a fine player. I don't think he takes much off the table, but in terms of what he adds, it's it's not it's not too much. So, I mean, if we're looking at it from a contract perspective. He said he's 26 years old. He's got that player option this this summer. I would be incredibly surprised if he didn't pick it up. Right. I understand the idea of okay, let's you know let's uh, decline it, let's hit free agency, and let's get more years. But he's going to get a lower annual rate if he does that, and he's only 26. So it's not like other teams are going to be deterred to give him years next year when he's 27. Um, from an injury perspective, I know he, he, he t- gets some tweaks here and there like he had at the beginning of the season, but the game he plays is not physically taxing, so I wouldn't worry about him 
breaking down over the next year, the next five years even. Um, I, I imagine Harrison Barnes today is very much Harrison Barnes six years from now and Marvin Williams eight years from now. He, he is what he is. Uh, I like him. Yeah, you know, he uh, he he played a role on Golden State where he, he was kind of just a, a little bit of a gap filler. You know, he started at the three, but then when they went to the death lineup, uh, he had the versatility to move to the four. He is a, he is a pretty versatile player in terms of he can he can play multiple positions defensively and and he can he can create a little bit on the ball, but he can also play off the ball as well. And and in Dallas, he's had uh, he's had two very different roles last year, of course. Uh, prior to them drafting Doncic, he he uh, had the ball in his hands quite a lot and uh, really uh, operated out of the uh, you know the free throw line elbow area. Whereas this year he's he's playing a little bit more off the ball. Yeah, he's definitely spouting up more this year, which is good. And he, he does it every now and again, but and it's it's great when it's you know six seconds or less in the shot clock, but. A lot of times there's 16, 15 seconds left where he, he takes his ISO mid-range that you'd expect from you know, Carmelo Anthony or Rudy Gay, and it's just not the most efficient shot with that many seconds left in the clock. So it's kind of you're taking that bad with the good of being able to rely on it when the offense uh, is a little slow and you end up you know five, six seconds left in the shot clock, and then you can go to him, and, and you know he'll create a half-decent shot on his own. Um, I, I like him. He's a, he's a good player. Uh, his usage percentage, I think it's it's sitting at around 23-24%, and his assist ratio is way down at 6%. So I, he's 26. He's been in the league for a while. I'm not sure if it's something he can change, but if he wants to take a next step in his game, you know, a little late in his career, being able to find passing lanes, and, and when he starts creating his shot, being wary of how other players on his team might get open could really take him to the next level uh, and make him a really reliable and useful offensive player. So I'm going to have you step into the shoes and, and kind of be the, the Mavs GM for a second. And, and let's, let's pretend that Harrison Barnes opts out of that, uh, of, of that player option and, and wants a longer term deal to stay in Dallas. Is he somebody that, uh, that, that the Mavs should be looking to keep for the long term or should they uh, try to find, a way to spend their money elsewhere. You know, it's tricky because Dallas every summer seems to have these aspirations where they're going to get a big name free agent. And a 30, 31-year-old DeAndre Jordan and a coming off a terrible finals Harrison Barnes are the two big free agent acquisitions that uh, Mavs fans are allowed to talk about. We're not allowed to talk about um, the Chandler Parsons signing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little a bit of taboo there. So I, if you can get him on a reasonable contract, I don't mind giving him years because, like I said, I think I think he'll age just fine. Um, but I do my I, I'm nowhere near the the twenty million dollars. I think he's making twenty four or twenty five if he opts in. So nowhere near that. Um, but in the teens, you know, he's he's a fine player, and we don't have too many contracts and. We don't have Dennis Smith or Luka Doncic's deal coming up for quite some time. So, you know, if, if he's all we can get, I, I think it's smart to surround Dennis Smith and Luka Doncic with capable players and, you know, have them work with capable players and, and hope that maybe you can get somebody better later on. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if if they can get him on a, uh, again, if, if he were to uh, to opt out of his deal, if they could get him on a reasonable long term deal, you know the of course when he when he signed his deal with Dallas, that was in the summer of 2016 with the huge cap boom. Uh, so you know players all over the league were getting overpaid. So certainly I wouldn't expect him to get as good of a deal on his next contract as as this current one. Uh, but uh, you know you you even saw with with this off season how how things are starting to change. You know you look at uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and. And J.J. Redick, who both made over $20 million last season, got paid in, in around the $12 million range this year. Uh, so I think the numbers are, are dropping a little bit after, for a few years, uh, players were, were getting paid like crazy. 
So, so maybe that uh, will actually help Dallas a little bit in, in future negotiations with him. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see as as Dodgich especially and, and Smith's roles increase this year and next year. You know, is he not? He might not be getting as many touches, so his his raw stats might be going down, which obviously is is good for leverage for from the team side. Well, yeah, and you know, if uh, if Smith and Doncic are kind of the the team's cornerstones, uh, fortunately, again because they're both on their rookie contracts, it's a couple of years before they're going to get paid. So Dallas does have a couple of off seasons here. Uh, with with some serious cap space to to try and figure out what they need to do around those couple of guys and and another key question uh, as far as free agency is concerned is is of course DeAndre Jordan who is in his age 30 season I believe and uh, you know putting up solid numbers uh, averaging over 11 points a game and over 13 rebounds uh, you know shooting 62.7 percent from the field he's always been excellent because he's mainly dunking the basketball uh, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on him and uh, the idea of possibly signing him after this season, given that uh, his his age doesn't really fit with, uh, with the rest of this roster? Yeah, I, I see it similarly to, to Barnes, where I wouldn't break the bank by any means to bring DeAndre Jordan back. Uh, I think you need a player who is obviously on that timeline with your younger players. But I also think you, you kind of need a playmaker from that center position. Uh, the way the league is headed, you're getting, you know, all these fives can shoot the ball. They can all, you know, defend the rim and, and even pass a little bit too. And you don't want to fall behind on the trend and end up where, you know, every night you're just getting beat at the center position. And as he declines... I think if you keep him around long enough at a high in a cap number that you're going to get, you're going to start getting beat at that five position every night anyway. So you might as well take your chances at some young guys who might be better. But uh, Garrett, you're, you're, you're given DeAndre stats and you, and you forgot the most important one. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. It's his, his free throws this season. Oh, they're beautiful. What happened there? Tell me what's going on. So the last I checked, he was at over 78%, and uh, he's he's at 45.3% for his career, which is one of the worst five free-throw shooters in the history of the NBA. And, you know, he, he uh, it seems to be all like sort of a mental game. He, he has this really strange routine where... He'll uh, he'll get the ball before even the referee touches it to to pass him the ball for the free throws, and he'll kind of shoot it straight, the, shoot the ball straight up into the air. Let it fall behind him. Right, and then the ref grabs it, and when he gets the ball, he then looks over at uh, either the bench or a teammate standing on the free throw line, and, and typically yells something at them, and then takes the shot. and And it seems to be that uh, that quirky sort of routine seems to be working for him. You could say it works about 78% of the time. <laughs> right. Or 100% of the time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so, one thing that, that is positive for me is that he did shoot 58% last year, which is a huge, which is a big bump for him. Right. Uh, I didn't get a lot of publicity because it's still 58%, but it was a bump for him. So, this upward trend to 78 isn't, it isn't out of nowhere, even though it's out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the bad news is I remember around this time last year, Andre Drummond was shooting very well from the free throw line, and everybody was talking about Andre Drummond's free throw percentage. And I forget what he finished the year with exactly. Let me pull it up real quick. I had it. While you look at that, I'll, I just wanted, I had another thing that I thought was really funny at the end of the at, at the end of the Boston game. Boston had a technical, so Dallas had a technical free throw, and Luka Doncic originally went to the line and looked like he was going to shoot yes. it, but then he turned around and looked at DeAndre and, and told him to take the free throw because yeah. he's he's one of the better free throw shooters on the team. And then he and, missed it, Yeah, unfortunately, he uh, he missed it. But but yeah, when it comes to when it comes to things like that where it, it definitely feels like a, a mental game, it always could come tumbling down at any moment, and uh, hopefully that hopefully for Mavs fans that won't be the case. Yeah, I mean, in-game everything is so fluid and dynamic that you don't really have time to think. And 
when you go to the free throw line, it's one of those few times where, you know, what you're about to do, you know, is, is something that you're sitting with for, you know, it's only 45 seconds a minute, whatever. But, you know, compared to the split second, second decisions you're making, you're, you're thinking a lot more. Uh, and for the record, Andre Drummond shot 61% last year um, after his hot start. Remember, he made 14 of 16 in one game and yes. in the beginning of the year. And yeah, I think he was in the he was in even the upper 60s at, at for for a good chunk of the start of yeah. the season. But he's Andre Drummond. We should have known. <laughs> right. We might be looking back in February and being like, "Oh, it's the Andre Jordan." We should have known. Yeah. So you know, you you mentioned with uh, with Jordan that obviously there there are issues with his. Uh, with his lack of being able to shoot the basketball uh, other than at the free throw line and uh, you know his his playmaking is not there he's actually got the highest turnover rate on the team despite you know not having a very high usage but uh, a guy that I feel like you know you you talk about having a center that kind of fits the modern NBA I feel like the Mavs kind of have that in Maxi Kleber off the bench he's a guy that uh, not only uh, can can shoot the three ball though uh, he hasn't shot it extremely well in his career. He's in the low 30s. But uh, he's a capable three-point shooter, and he's also a, a pretty decent shot blocker as well. He's got good length and good timing. Uh, you know, a, a guy that can knock down threes, maybe switch a little bit, and protect the rim seems to be the perfect modern center. Yeah, it's it's weird because when you look at him, he, he just looks like your stereotypical stretch four. You know, he looks like, like Ryan Anderson out there. But then on defense, he's just... He's blocking everything. He's got the seventh best block rate in the NBA at six point four percent. Yeah, and the per thirty six minutes is averaging about two point seven blocks. He, he comes out of nowhere, and it's not like he's it's not like he's swatting at every shot that goes up. He he times things. He times his jump well. He he doesn't bite on fakes. He's and he plays hard. So from from a defensive standpoint, you know, as far as guarding the rim. He's not the worst guy. He's not a great defensive rebounder, which is a worry, but that could also be skewed when he's playing alongside DeAndre Jordan because, as a lot of people know, DeAndre kind of feasts on defensive rebounds almost almost to a fault. But, yeah, I mean, I see Maxi Kleber, who you know came out of nowhere last year. I think he was a 25, 26-year-old rookie, and he looks like, he looks like if Zach Collins didn't have a ceiling, it was just like he had his floor, and then like he had the second floor. <laughs> Maxi Kleber looks like Zach Collins' like second floor. Yeah, and I think that's 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 a pretty good find. I don't know if it's a starter on a team that expects to go anywhere, but it's definitely a good piece for a team that that has you know some potential moving forward. So I, I like him. Well, I mean, the Lakers are starting JaVale McGee, so uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You the, can't this, get away with anything. This, they also have that guy. Uh, they have, uh, what's, what's his name? LeBron James on the team, he's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't seem like teams really are even valuing the center position that much anymore. And the Lakers are, are the, the obvious example, although, yeah. you know, the acquisition of Tyson Chandler has helped. But, uh, you know, looking at, at free agency again, you know, you, you talk about that maybe DeAndre Jordan might, might warrant uh, a lot of money. And if Dallas doesn't want to go that direction, perhaps Kleber could be a uh, you know a cheaper option, which would allow them to to uh, to use their money on perhaps a, a more uh, important position. Yeah, and I think is is Kleber on contract for next year as well, or is he just on for the? I think he might be coming up. Uh, he's got his qualifying offer for next year. So what what would you do if you were Dallas? He's got he makes one point eight million dollar qualifying offer for the two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty season. How do you approach this if you're Dallas? Um, yeah, I mean the the whole the whole issue with the with the qualifying offer is yes, you you get a player for for a pretty cheap salary, but at the same time you don't want to uh, theoretically upset the player so that then he he leaves you know the following season. Uh, I feel like the Cavs probably did that with Rodney Hood, you know, really not making him too happy. But uh, uh, I would probably, with with a player of of his stature, I don't think he's ever going to get a big-time contract in the NBA, despite the fact that I think he has legitimate value. 
So I would probably just do that qualifying offer and uh and and hope that uh you know your culture and and the fact that he's uh a European prospect that maybe uh, is only familiar with the Dallas area, maybe he uh, he'll be just more comfortable re-signing there. Right, or on, on the same note, where you go to you know how much is he really going to demand on the mar- on the free agent market? Right. Do you maybe sign him this year to lock him down for future years, knowing that the that annual number is probably not going to be too much higher than the one point eight million that you that you'd pay him the qualifying offer? Right, yeah, that's um, that's that's always a, a, a difficult decision for teams to make. Is do you want do you want to lock down a guy long term, and then if it doesn't work out, that that sticks to your cap. Uh, but uh, but as you said, if you can if you can get him on a on a really really reasonable contract over the course of three or four seasons, it, it oftentimes those can be the best contracts in the entire league. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. So. What uh, what should Dallas be targeting uh, when it comes to to like what type of player, what positions should Dallas be targeting in uh, this off season and in the next couple of off seasons to to build around their young core? Yeah, so the way I see it is you're you're basically looking to replace slash upgrade on players that you don't expect to be there in the next year, two years, and for me that's. Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan. So that three and D type player for Wesley Matthews, uh, maybe somebody who is a little bit less trigger shy or, or trigger happy <laughs> than, than Matthews. Uh, I mean, Bradley Beal would be wonderful, uh, but I, I we don't have the assets, and I, and I doubt you know if if he has any inkling of wanting to get traded. Um, or wanting to move to a new team, it's not going to get to free agency. It's it's going to be via trade. So he seems out the window. Um, I don't know. A, a player, a three and D player like that, a Robert Covington type would be great. Uh, I mean, it, it's easy for anybody to say, oh, you know, we want. It'd be great to get Kevin Durant, or it'd be great to, you know, trade for so and so superstar. But for a, a realistic, you know, average to above average player. You know, a Robert Covington type would be great to fill that role. And then to replace DeAndre Jordan, I would love a young, athletic, um, energetic center like what the Clippers have found in Montrezl Harrell. I think he would be he would be perfect in Dallas, and a player like him would be perfect in Dallas. Well, yeah, that's that's the positive thing. Like Again, if, if you're assuming that uh, Dennis Smith Jr. and Doncic both work out, which I think it's it's pretty obvious Doncic will, but Dennis Smith Jr. is still a question mark. But in the event that they do both work out, you know you've got your your two primary creators with the ball in their hands. Uh, so so as you mentioned, a, a three and D guy, it seems like that's that for the most part is going to be an easy decision. At least offensively, you know a guy that maybe is lower usage that can knock down three point shots uh, is going to be a good fit for this team. My thing would be, as you mentioned, Robert Covington, a guy that maybe is a little bit bigger than a Wes Matthews because they've struggled at times against guys. I remember a game earlier this year against San Antonio where DeMar DeRozan just absolutely destroyed uh, Matthews. Yeah, uh, just because Matthews didn't doesn't quite have the size and length to, to really bother guys like that. Uh, so, so, yeah, like a, a 3 and D guy that, that has that length as well, I think, will be, would be huge for this group. Yeah, I agree. And again, with having you know two rookies as your foundation, foundational pieces, uh, you're not going to have too uh, too much money in your starting lineup uh, committed to your starting lineup, and they don't really have an albatross of a contract. So, assuming this uh, Washington situation continues to deteriorate, uh, if Otto Porter continues to not play so great, uh, and those two things happen, maybe you can get Otto Porter. And you know, take his his salary hit for the next couple of years, where you don't have to pay other guys, and you know, kind of take a flyer on out of Porter, get his rights, and, and kind of see where you are in two years. And you know, he's a solid player. He's proven it in the past. He can play defense. He's long. He definitely can shoot the three and create a shot when needed. So, you know, if if the Mavs aren't financially strapped, Otto Porter could be a great a great outlet to you know try to explore assuming the Wizards don't don't see him as too much of a value. 
and the league doesn't see him as too much of a value. Well, yeah, and, and, and a big thing with Otto Porter, given his his monstrous contract, is you, you have to send quite a bit of salary in return for any possible deal for him. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he, he'd be an interesting, uh, especially offensively, he'd be a great fit because, yeah, he, he doesn't really need the ball in his hands ever, and and prior to this season, he's uh, he's been known to be to be a really good three point shooter. So yeah, that that certainly is an interesting interesting case. And and another guy that the Mavs have on their own roster that that kind of fits that three and D archetype is is Dorian Finney Smith. And prior to to this season, his first couple of years in the league, he never shot above thirty percent from downtown. Uh, but this year, he's uh, he's shooting thirty nine point one percent on uh, 3.8 attempts per game does does the jump shot seem real to you is that uh, do you do you find this to be uh, sustainable or is it uh, kind of fluky you know it's it's interesting i look at dorian finney smith and his jump shot in the likes of like an alfred Camino, where he has often alfred Camino has often on years where he's you know he can shoot 37 percent 36 percent but other years he'll shoot 33 percent so it, it's a little young, uh, early to tell where Dorian Finney-Smith will lie for the rest of his career. Uh, like you said, it's only his third year in the league, so it could very easily be uh, a legitimate improvement. Uh, his shot isn't very complex. Uh, it's a pretty smooth form, and he only takes good look, good, uh, good open spot-up looks. So, you know, it's definitely possible that it's legitimate. Now, the last two games, he's, he's gone 0 for 9 from three so let's hope that those are the outliers and not the first you know month and a half of the season was the outlier but you know if you're Rick Carlisle and you're the Mavs you have to look at this as a positive right now because like you said earlier on in the pod his shooting allows him to be on the floor and defensively that really helps this Mavs team out yeah he's got he's got great length he he often gets his hands on a lot of uh, a lot of balls causes some deflections and uh, the other thing concerning about his shot is the fact that he's he's shooting just uh, under sixty one percent from the free throw line. Now there's been you know there's been cases in in NBA history of guys that were poor free throw shooters that actually were still decent from the three point line. And perfect example of that is Bruce Bowen. Uh, teams often even went to hack a Bowen at times with him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so so that's not necessarily a uh, an issue. But but given that this is just basically an eighteen game sample size of his. Uh, being able to shoot the three, and we've got two years of evidence that uh, that he wasn't a very good shooter. Uh, it, it'll take a lot more before uh, before I become convinced. But you know, if uh, if if it is real, you know, he certainly is is a guy that can be a uh, a piece for this this Mavs team going forward and into the future. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm with you totally where, where I'm expecting a good amount of regression. But if it can hover around, you know, 35%, 36% from year to year, that's a guy that you can have on the floor. You know, that's, that's not starter level, but that's, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game off the bench, giving you solid minutes. And, you know, that's, that's a good player in the NBA. It's a valuable player. Now, a young, another youngster on this, uh, on this roster is Jalen Brunson. He was the, a second-round pick, I believe, 33 overall. In the draft, and uh, he uh, he's he's struggled a little bit from the field, shooting uh, under forty two percent and twenty eight percent from uh, from the three point line, under fifty percent true shooting on the year. What uh, what have you seen out of uh, out of the rookie point guard? Again, we mentioned with uh, Smith Junior that typically uh, young point guards struggle, and, and it's definitely been the case with him. But have you seen anything positive out of Brunson? Yeah. Uh kind of what you would expect from uh, a four-year college player. He is more advanced for a rookie in terms of his IQ of the game. So he plays a very heady style. Um, he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, granted, his shooting his shooting splits aren't great, but he can guard, he can switch, he can stay in front of guys. You know, he, he moves the ball well, he knows where to be, and he knows how to play angles. So it's great from that perspective. His best skill at the moment, I would say, is is his. Uh, he doesn't turn the ball over. He just takes care of the ball. And when you're you're playing on that second or third unit, you need to, you know you're not going to get that much value from each possession. 
So you really can't waste possessions. And when he has the ball in his hand, he doesn't turn it over. You know, you always get a shot when, when, when he's out there. And I think that's, you know, that's, you know, like I said, with Finney Smith's shooting percentage, you know, it's, that's a valuable thing. Yeah, and one of the biggest concerns I've seen out of Brunson, and and maybe it it relates to the fact that he's struggling from downtown, but he seems to rely a lot on the on the mid range. He doesn't quite have the athleticism to to get to the basket too often, and uh, again because he's struggling from downtown, he seems to have settled for for a lot of mid rangers and and uh, Daryl Morey would would hate uh, would hate that because uh, you know it's it's just one of the least efficient shots in the league. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's tough for him at, at his size. Um, he's going to have a lot of trouble. It, it would be interesting to see uh, if he can take advantage of being a lefty. Uh, you know, so many players are just used to guarding righties. And lefties, you know, we saw it with Maddie, we see it with, with James Harden every now and again. It's just just the fact that they're a lefty kind of gives them a slight advantage. Um, so maybe he can use that. But really, I, if he can become an adequate three-point shooter, um, that's that's really all he needs to do, um, and really doesn't need to shoot the ball at all. You know, be able to, but but don't do it. Be a, be the threat, but pass the ball to other people, and you know hustle on defense. Seems like seems like the role that he might be might be bound for. Yeah, and you know for a uh, for a second round pick, albeit a albeit a high pick, if he can if he can become a a solid backup point guard, that'd be a a pretty good result out of that uh, area of the draft. Moving on to uh, the, the one starter we haven't really discussed too much yet beyond his his struggles guarding uh, DeMar DeRozan is, uh, is Wes Matthews. And he got off to the, this season to a, to a start where he was attempting a crazy amount of threes. I, uh, that was one of the, in, in preparation for this, I sent you a question talking about uh, his, his three-point attempts. And they they weren't actually as high as as I thought. He's he's averaging seven three point attempts a game, which is I believe point six more than he did last year. But uh, in the month of October, he was he was averaging eight point six, and and I think the first couple of weeks he was around eleven. Uh, but uh, he he's a guy that seems to be really shooting the ball a lot, and and especially in transition. I think that's been one of the things in the entire league that that I have noticed that. The teams are, are taking advantage of semi-contested transition threes more than ever before. Yeah, no, it's definitely been been a, a, a trend this year and, and last year. You have you have guys like Ian Clark taking a ton of threes. Tim Hardaway, who always shoots, is is taking more shots than ever. Uh, and there's really there's become a mold for this type of player who can just get the shots up and make them at a you know a thirty six to thirty nine percent clip. Um, you were talking about how early on in the season, Wes Matthews was he was taking, uh, you think you said twelve attempts in the first couple of weeks, and then eight and a half, you know, the weeks after that. But I think that that had a lot to do with the the, the old starters on the Mavs not knowing what their role would be this year because they didn't know how good Luca was going to be this year. So it definitely took all of the starters a long time to adjust and it almost looked you're watching a lot of the early games like not that they that they represented Luca, but they didn't want to play with him because he was taking a lot of the volume that they thought they should get yeah. so Wes was just firing up shots anytime he saw even even a bit of daylight and since then I think Luca's earned everybody's trust DeAndre especially has realized like oh if I set a screen for him if I give him the ball there's a good chance that I'll be dunking it four seconds later. So I'm going to start helping out Luca And Wesley Matthews, same thing. If I move around a screen, he'll find me. And I'll get a better look than if I you know, try to dribble around a screen and shoot the ball off the dribble. So as everybody's calibrated to Luca, they've kind of found their own roles. And the Wesley Matthews that was playing basketball the first two weeks, first month of the season, jacking up shots left and right, um, I understood what he was doing, but I didn't like it. And I've really liked what I've been seeing these last couple of games, last couple of weeks, where he's he's picking his spots a lot more efficiently. And I think the team, like you said, you know, they've been I think seven and two in the last nine games. They've been playing much better, and I think a lot of that comes down to the shot selection. 
Yeah, what what else have you seen from Matthews outside of uh, outside of shooting threes? You know, what what have your thoughts been on his defense and his overall play? You know, given he's he's a couple years uh, removed from that uh, that horrible Achilles issue he dealt with uh, Achilles tear he had uh, playing in Portland. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think his career has done a one eighty, where in Portland he was he was a three and D guy who was probably a better defender than he was three-point shooter. And now in Dallas, he's still a 3-and-D guy, but it seems like his his shooting has superseded the defense, or at least the defense has taken a step back. Granted, he's older, and the Achilles is probably the most difficult injury to come back from in the NBA. Uh, He's a solid player. He's not your lockdown defender that that you maybe expected or, or remember from the Portland days, but he's he's a fine player. Um, and like I said before, his understanding that he doesn't have to be a volume guy and, and create his own shot all the time has really made him a more efficient player and just made the offense more efficient. So I like where his head's at. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he finishes the season as a Maverick. Uh, he's got that expiring contract. He could be a buyout. He could be, he could be traded as an expiring uh, do you have any any idea what the Mavs might do, or what, what do you? If, let's put you in the GM role. Uh, you're the GM of the Mavs. What are your plans for Wesley Matthews? Well, yeah, that's that's an that's an interesting question. And a lot of that just comes down to how do the Mavs perform over the next month or so. You know, they're they're nine and nine, and right in the Western Conference playoff mix, it'll uh, it'll make a big impact on whether they're going to be sellers or not as you know if if they're within a couple of games of of that eighth spot maybe they they hold on to them uh if not though you know if they start to if they start to tank a little bit perhaps yeah he he becomes a little bit more available and and the other question too would be you know what is wesley matthews trade value at this stage certainly you know teams are are hoping for you know contenders need those three and d types of players but i'm not sure his defense or his three-point shooting is at, is at uh, an elite enough level to be uh, to be a, a highly valued commodity. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and the contract is it is a little high. I think it was at I think I have the number right here eighteen eighteen point six million dollars for the year. So that's not a small contract. That's a lot of money. Uh, so I, I would be surprised if he went to a contender. Uh, and I would also, I would be probably more surprised if he's a buyout also because they don't have their pick anyway. So it's not like being the, you know, the the tenth seed versus the, the, the having the tenth pick versus having the twelfth pick makes a difference to them. The eighth pick to the twelfth pick or whatever doesn't make a difference. That pick goes to Atlanta regardless. So I think he finishes the season in a Dallas Maverick uniform unless um, he ends up part of a trade where the Mavericks are getting back an asset. And the team he's traded to views him as a valuable expiring contract. So it'd be along the lines of that Otto Porter contract where we're taking on more of an albatross or what is viewed as an albatross contract for the next couple of years. Uh, you were talking about the West and if they're in the playoff race later on. As of now, everybody's in the playoff race except for the Phoenix Suns. That's right. It's like uh, four and a half games between. Uh, between the first place and or five and a half games between first place and and second and second to last, the Jazz. Yeah, that so is it's pretty incredible. That uh, is absolute insanity. We have the next six. The Dallas has the next six games that'll kind of you know if they are thinking that that buyout route or making some roster adjustments, these next six games might might sway that course. There's a home and home against Houston. At the, the start and the end of that, and they have two home games against the Blazers and the slightly less on fire Clip, uh, Clippers, and then they go to LA for the Lakers and they go to New Orleans for the Pelicans. So a six-game stretch where you know you can see them going zero and six, you can see them going four and two, maybe as the ceiling. What are you What are you expecting in that? You know, two Houston games. Blazers, Clippers, Lakers, and Pelicans. Well, right. The, with with Houston, I believe they're they're still under five hundred at this stage. Uh, you know, really struggling. 
You know, there, there aren't any uh, any teams that you would consider a juggernaut in that stretch, but they're all solid. You know, so. Uh, but but I would almost I would consider Dallas sort of in that category as well. They they've been a solid team thus far. Anytime you can be, you know, the, again we mentioned at the at the start, they're they're fifteenth in the league in offense, eighth in defense. If you can be in the top half of the league uh, in both offensive defense, you're going to give yourself an opportunity to win most nights. So you know it, it wouldn't surprise me if they go kind of you know three and three during that stretch. Uh, but uh, but you're right that uh, especially when you're when all of those games are against teams that are also in that same mix, it's it's going to be a, certainly an important stretch. Yep, and I agree. Uh, luckily for them, their, their next four games or three games after that end up being against uh, the bottom the bottom half of the league. I think they're going to game against uh, the Hawks, the, the Magic, the Hawks, something like that. Teams that notoriously aren't good. Sorry, sorry, Darius. Yeah, yeah. The although Orlando's been playing, uh, you know, pretty decent basketball. They they competed last night against Golden State and fell just short. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and and the bottom half of the league, unfortunately, is all just the the bottom half of the Eastern Conference. Uh, the uh, I, I had just uh, one more topic to discuss with you before I'll let you go, and that is, of course, we can't do a Dallas Mavericks podcast without discussing Dirk Nowitzki. And uh, Dirk has has missed this uh, this entire season with a left ankle injury. Uh, you know, the of course he's he's in his forties now, so uh, he's he doesn't recover from injuries as uh, maybe as fast as he did uh, a decade ago. But uh, do you imagine he'll be making a return to the lineup anytime soon? Yeah, I think all reports indicate in the next couple weeks uh, we should be seeing him. That being said. If this team is, is winning games, I'm very interested to see how they play him. I imagine he comes off the bench. Um, he's not you know that type of ego player who needs to start. Right. Um, but if you're Rick Carlisle and you're the Mavs, how do you balance his, you know, the idea of that's Dirk Nowitzki, greatest player in franchise history, we should give him minutes, versus... We're trying to win games. That's Dirk Nowitzki, forty-one years old, just off an injury. Uh, how would you how would you balance that? Well, yeah, it's it's certainly you know he's certainly going to to make their defense significantly worse as soon as he steps yeah, on the floor. Uh, right, but you know I I still think he is a, as a even at this age, even when he's fifty years old, I still think Dirk would be an above average offensive player. <laughs> He's just that good of a shooter, and and with that release and at his size, uh, he is just going to uh, to instill fear in any defense when he's out there on the floor. And and I really can't wait to see some more JJ Barea, Dirk Nowitzki pick and rolls whenever he returns. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it'll be it'll be fun to watch at the least. Uh, I you know obviously everybody hopes that he's healthy and that he's he's playing well and he can get some minutes. But nobody's expecting him to you know, make any more All-Star games or, or anything like that. So he's in a good spot. The pressure's off. He's done everything he's, he's needed to do in Dallas. Uh, so let's, we'll enjoy his way out, however long he wants to take, and um, you know, hopefully win some games along the way. Well, and you know, he, he does have a milestone he could potentially break as well, which is uh, getting into the top five all-time in, in the league and scoring and passing Wilt Chamberlain. He's he's basically 300 points behind Wilt. So, you know, if he's if he's able to come back and play 40 or 50 games this year and average, I don't know, 8 to 10 points a game, he's got an opportunity to to uh, to, to at least accomplish something this season. Yeah, no, that would be great. I, I don't think he'll be able to catch. I think LeBron just passed him. I'm not sure that's going to be a back and forth all year. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> That would be the, the surprise of the year. Yeah, LeBron's going to be chasing number one here shortly. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, Frankie, that's uh, that's all I have for you. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun catching up with you and talking Mavs. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Garrett, thanks for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. 
You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at O-N-U dot E-D-U. Uh, you can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. I'd be happy to, uh, to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if, you're, if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.